Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I am so excited about my guest today. Jen and I have talked before when I was on her podcast, and she's just really special, and and you're really going to enjoy this. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Emily. I was it was so great talking to you on, on my podcast. So this is this is such a great treat for me to be here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah it's fun. It's it's interesting how people like us who have that that widow connection. You just fall into a conversation and you it can be comfortable and it's it's really neat. So that's what so we're going to do today. <laughs> yep. Uh, Jen, could you tell us a little bit about you before we start? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jen Zwink. I am a mom of two girls and my husband was killed in 2011. So I've been a widow for a while, remarried now, but my life really took a crazy unexpected turn and uh, never in a million years saw what was coming it's, it's been, it's been a horrible journey, but my time after that loss has been this amazing, incredible period of growth for me as a person. So I can kind of get into that a little bit more, (laughs) what, how my life has changed because of that event that had happened with my husband. But, um, so this was October of 2011 and my husband at the time, Brent, he had gone to a bachelor party. He was invited to go out with a bunch of guys. And one of our really good friends was getting married. So I said, go have fun. Cause he was a guy who never went out really. He was such a homebody. And we had our two-year-old daughter, Claire, and he just loved to be home with his girls. So he was hesitant to go. And I was saying, go have a good time, go have some drinks, have have fun. So the night of this party comes and uh, we had both worked that day, but he, last thing he said to me, he asked me, he said, how do I look? Um, And I said, you look great. You know, give kisses. Bye-bye. Have a great time. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, He was spending the night out that night too, because he knew it was going to be a late night. So he had a hotel uh, this was in downtown New Orleans where the bachelor party was. So he went to the party, but he, on the way, he called me and it's about a 40 minute drive, 45 minute drive from our house. And he and I talked the whole time. We had this amazing conversation and I am so glad that he called me and I got to talk to him. Um, so again, you know, he, he got down there, he, Said good, we said goodbye. I love you. Have fun. He was going to text me when he got back to the hotel room after going out. I said, I don't care what time it is. Just let me know that you're back. And so I guess it was about maybe 4.30 in the morning or five o'clock in the morning. 
And I woke up and I looked at my phone and I didn't have any messages. So I just went back to sleep, not thinking anything of it. I said, maybe he's back, but he just fell asleep or whatever. But the next morning was the Saints football game was starting at noon. So he was supposed to leave and come back home, get home around nine or 10. And then we were going to watch the game. So I think it was like 10 o'clock came around. He didn't, he wasn't home yet. He hadn't even messaged me, texted me anything. 11 o'clock, he still wasn't home. And then noon came, the game started. He still wasn't home. And at that point, I was really starting to get this feeling in my stomach. You know, something, something's up. So I called the guys that he was out with. And I, I said, is he with you? Did you guys go to lunch? What's going on? And they said, no, I haven't seen him since last night. He left the bar and just did a wave and and left like he was going. And so they said, let's go to the hotel. We're going to go to the hotel and see if he's there. So they went to the room. He wasn't there. Then they called me and they said, okay, I want you to get down here, bring the baby to your parents, let them know what's going on. We are going to go to the police right now and um, go back to the bar and just see if we can talk to some people and see what's going on. And so they're telling me this and I was just like, what, you know, what, what do you mean? What do you, so I called my parents and my mom came to get Claire. And then I went with my dad. He came with me. We went downtown. I grabbed some pictures and recent pictures of Brent just to show. Um, And when we got to the hotel, the police were already there. I was showing pictures. The friends were already out looking, retracing steps, just going back to the bar. Everybody was looking at, um, the police had gone to look at the video footage from, they have a lot of video cameras downtown. So they were just trying to track him down. It, at this point, it was getting to be, you know, six o'clock at night, maybe seven o'clock at night. And finally, we were able to track his phone through, you know, contacting Sprint. They were able to put a pin on his phone or whatever it is that they do to track his phone. So we got the location of his phone and his phone was in a junkyard place that was about three miles from the bar. So at that point, it was about eight or nine o'clock at night and it was dark, but the police were saying, let's go over there. We're going to see, you know, his phone is there. So the friends, my dad, we all got in our cars, the police, everybody went over to this junkyard, which we pulled up at the junkyard and it's got like barbed wire fence all around the top. It's a huge junkyard and it's pitch black. So we walk up to the gates and there's, pit bulls and Rottweiler dogs just barking underneath. And so we just start calling in there. And then they called the fire department to come out. The firemen get there with the truck. They put the big ladder up kind of over the fence. And then they had a spotlight at the top. So they were shining the light, just trying to find him, I guess. Or we, we didn't know. We didn't know what was happening. But he... uh One of the detectives, they just kept telling me, they said, okay, we want you to call the phone and then we're going to shut off all the lights and we're going to see if we can see the phone light up in the junkyard. 
And so we kept doing that. We did that for about an hour. I just kept calling. They couldn't find the phone. So now then it gets to be like, it's like 10 o'clock, maybe 11 o'clock at night. And people started leaving. Mm. So the police started leaving and, you know, the fire trucks left. And then there's one detective that came up to me and he just said, okay, ma'am, you know, we just need you to try and go home and get some rest and just let us do our job. And I was like, what? I said, I'm not, why is everybody leaving? I'm not leaving here. I don't have my husband, you know, what is going on? I don't have him. I can't leave, but I, there wasn't anything that I could do. So my dad said, okay, let's, let's just go and, you know, we'll try and get some rest or whatever. So we get home, I guess it's about midnight or so. And I went to my parents' house and they had Claire in a back bedroom. So she was, we were going to be sleeping in the, it's like a king size bed together. So she's two. So I'll get in the bed to go and cuddle with her. Of course, I'm not sleeping. My, I'm, my skin feels like it's inside out. You know, I just had like pins and needles. I felt like I was going to throw up. He was missing. It had been 24 hours, over 24 hours at that point. So it was about, I don't know, maybe two o'clock in the morning, but I was sitting there literally just like rocking because I didn't know what to do with myself. I was just trying to understand what was happening. And I just kept saying over and over, I was like, Brent, give me a sign. Give me a sign that you're okay. Give me a sign. I need a sign. And I just kept saying it and saying it and saying it. And my mom had plugged in a little, like a nightlight just for Claire, just so that she wasn't scared if she woke up. And this nightlight had cast a shadow. It, there was a flower arrangement on the dresser or something. I don't, I don't even know where the shadow came from, but there was a, a silhouette and a shadow on the wall directly in front of me. And it was, it was Brent. It was his full silhouette. And I just looked at it and I saw that it, it looked just like him. And I just said, nope. I'm like, I, that's not it. I need a different sign. Give me a different sign. I don't want to see that one. <laughs> Whatever it is you're trying to tell me. And in my heart, I knew at that point, I knew that he was no longer here. Um, but my head was like, I'm not accepting this. You know, I am not, this is not what's really happening. And so I just, I look back over at this shadow on the wall and I just was shaking my head and just crying. And, and I knew that he was, that he was gone. So the next morning was Monday and 8 a.m. We got a call from the coroner's office to come downtown. Um, and they just said, you know, we would like to not have this be your husband. We don't want to believe that it is your husband, but we are almost certain that it is your husband. And so um, I had to go down there, went with my parents and my brother came with. And we went into the coroner's office and they had this big, long conference table and um, they had his picture upside down. And then he slid the picture across the table in front of me and then flipped it over. And I and I knew that it, I could see the picture when it was upside down. I could tell it was him. It was his his face. But he flipped it back over and then he um, 
he let me look at it for about five seconds and then he flipped it back over and he and he pulled the picture away and I said I want to see that again and he said no and he wouldn't let me look at it again and I said I want to see him like I want to is he in this building and he said no and he said you know you don't want to see him which I don't know what rights you have as a person. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. So I I was just like, okay, you know, but what had happened was Brent got tired around 4.30, I guess is what they said. He left the bar. He left by himself because he, everybody wanted, wanted to stay out and he was tired. Like I said, he was just not a going out kind of guy. And so he left the bar and um, started to walk back to the hotel and he was followed by a guy. Brent was supposed to turn right to go to the hotel and he turned left. He took a wrong turn. And the street that he walked down, it was just a half a block that he walked, but it was a dark corner. And this person came up and hit him on the head and took his wallet, took his phone. So he had no identification or anything. And you know, just mugged him and then left. And so he was left on the sidewalk. And just a couple of minutes later, someone came walking by and found him and they called 911. And I was told that he had pretty much passed away like immediately. So that he, you know, by the time they got him to the hospital, he was already gone. So, so yeah, then the nightmare really started. Um, Had to plan the funeral and get all of the, make all the phone calls and do all of the planning. And I know I said something so stupid to the coroner when he told me, when he showed me that picture. And I said, no, I said, we're supposed to be going to the pumpkin patch today. I said, we're, we're going to the pumpkin patch and we're, we're going to be carving pumpkins. That's what we're doing. <laughs> we are not doing this. You know, I just, I feel like I went insane. You know, I just did not know how to process what was happening. It was horrific. It was traumatizing. It was all of it. And I still had to be a mom, you know, to my two-year-old and try and explain to her in the best way that I could what that her dad wasn't coming home and that you know, it was just going to be the two of us and, and then try and manage my emotions, her emotions and, and be a mom and just keep things afloat, you know, still give her the snacks and sit and play puzzles and plan a funeral at the same time. It was insane. It's insane. So. Well, something none of us would ever dream what happened to anybody we knew, let alone your husband? Yes. But uh, I'm I am so impressed with you and and what you've done since then. That you uh, you can laugh and smile and have great conversations, and you created the Widow Squad, which I think is amazing. So yeah. I would love for you to tell us about the Widow Squad because I'm sure that that helped you and was you oh. being able to deal with life. Oh, a thousand percent. So I felt like the it was probably 
the week after, actually it was at the funeral. I had a really good friend come up to me and she said, you need to talk to my friend, Cherie. She uh, is a recent widow, young widow with young little kids. And she said, I can give you her number. And I said, yes, please. And here I was at the funeral. There's hundreds of people, family, friends, people that love me. And I felt so alone because I said, nobody knows how I'm feeling right now. So my friend put me in touch with this other young widow and she had this small group, um, local young widows, and they met once a month. And so she invited me to come to their next gathering, which was the following week, just the week after the, after the funeral. But this girl was nice enough to get on the phone with me, talk to me for at least an hour, didn't know me at all, but she knew she knew how it felt, you know, she knew what I was feeling. She knew that I needed that help. And I was desperate. I went to this girl's house. I didn't even know anybody. I, you know, I said, I need help. I need to talk to somebody who gets this. And so immediately I found that power of community. You know, I walked out of that first meeting with those girls and I mean, I had I had gotten out of my car, walked up to that house, crying from the second I got out of my car, walked in there. I think I cried the entire time, <laughs> but they were all talking and some of them were smiling and laughing. And then some of them were in tears and everybody's drinking wine and there's pretty candles. And it was just, it was, I felt so much peace being there and around these ladies and you know, I would see, I would see the ones that were like a year ahead of me or two years ahead of me. And I'm thinking, how is she doing that? How is she laughing and smiling, feeling like this? If she's feeling like this, you know, that's the person that I want to talk to. And so I had these people that I could trust immediately. There's that trust there. And so I, kept in contact with them. These are still my really, really close friends to this day. Um, these people are just in my heart, you know, they helped me through this horrific time. And so when I decided, I guess it was several years, several years after that is when I decided we should get together as this group of girls and do a podcast together. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And everybody's busy with kids and life and, you know, it, it didn't really pan out. And then like several months later, I'm like, let's do the podcast. And they're like, yes, let's do it. And it didn't happen again, but it was so ingrained in me. It was just tugging at me. Like you have got to do this. You have to put out these stories of hope and inspiration and show people that there is this light after the darkness and so that's the people that I talk to. I talk to widows who have been through similar situations. And, and, you know, everybody's story is a little different. Some people had loss because of a long illness. Some people had sudden loss, car accidents, whatever. But everybody is in this position and everybody is grieving. And yes, everybody grieves a different way, but getting through it and like maneuvering your way through grief, we can learn things from each other. And me putting out that information through the podcast, like, how did she do this? What worked for her? Was it journaling? Was it, you know, traveling? What did she turn to? Maybe that will help me. 
So I started doing the podcast. I started doing it myself and I loved it because I was able to speak with widows across the world and I learned something every single time. I learned something new from these ladies and I absolutely love it. And two of the ladies that I was able to interview for the podcast, they were also really passionate about helping other widows. And um, they were trying to start to do more outreach and kind of the same thing that I wanted to do. So we were all kind of on the same page of how can we help other widows? And so that's when the Widow Squad was born. So we, we got together, I guess it was about a year ago, and we just decided, we said, okay, we're going to join forces and see what kind of community we can build and how we can help these ladies through group coaching. We have these experts that come in, uh, guest speakers that come and talk to our group. I was telling you earlier that next month we have um, a travel agent, travel expert. She is also a widow because we like to get widows involved in the community. And she's going to come and talk to our group about solo travel and how to get over your fear of solo travel and awesome, affordable places, uh, solo travel, friendly places, you know. So she's our guest expert for next month. And we just get somebody like that to come in every month to talk to the group, different topics. We have workshops that we do with, um, with the ladies and a lot of a lot of journaling, a lot of meditation, a lot of group discussion. And these topics come up anywhere from, you know, what do you do with your husband's stuff uh, to how do I tell my kids that I'm dating again? You know, it, it runs the range of all of these things that we go through after loss. And so it's just a great resource that um, that we've put together. And we're all so excited about it. That's so wonderful. It, it, uh, <laughs> I'm just tickled with with what you've done, and I, I really get that thing of, of wanting to help other people in that situation. I know um, I've had two husbands die, and when the first one died, I just kind of was by myself all the time. I didn't know anybody else who was my age and didn't have a husband that had been having a husband all along. And I didn't know who to talk to, where to go, what to do. And it was the loneliest time I've been in my life. It, it was really, really hard. But then when my next husband died, I felt so different because I, I had gotten through and I realized that I had to find something to, to do, to support me, to, to help me get through this. And I found that that was helping other people in the same position, helping people deal with loss. And it it turned my life around to be able to talk to people who get it, who have, uh, they, they're their experiences don't need to be the same. The, what's the same is the loss. It, everybody involved, it didn't matter whether they were male or female, young or old or whatever it was, they, had, they are or were dealing with loss. And I'm I'm so glad I did that, and I I really admire what you're doing with that, with it, keeping this going, and it just it, it's so positive. When you told me about the that travel agent who gave that kind of advice, I thought, wow, we yeah. we all need to have access to that kind of support. 
I know. I know. Because you can hear, I mean, you can hear stories of, and, and that's the other thing. I mean, you're, you're, it's such a constant learning process, right? Mm-hmm. You, and you're, you're just taking in information from everywhere and you, you get what you want out of it. But yeah, the guest experts. Yeah. We also have financial, you know, advisors that come in. That's another big topic. Of course, it's, it's scary to, have to do all of these things on your own and it's scary to make the financial decisions and really any decision right Mm -hmm. um so it's it's a good sounding board to have all of these people just to you know ask ask advice or for anything so yeah it 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 really is and i i like the the inspiration that, like you said, everyone I talk to or listen to, rather, probably is a better way to say it, I gained something from. And like yeah. listening to you, your smile and your positiveness just is is like a, a beacon saying, you can do this too, you know? <laughs> and I could just see that in, in your group, that people would just thrive being around you because they can see. I, I always tell people now that I'm happier than I ever have been. And they go, you had two husbands die. How can that be? Uh And I said, because I I learned how to be because that supports me the best and supports the people around me the best. Yeah. And it feels good to be here. It wouldn't feel good stuck in that loss forever. No. And people do get stuck there. And I feel like too, I mean, it does completely change your perspective on how you look at life and how fragile it is. And how you, how do you want to spend the rest of your life? How do you want to spend your time? And how can you contribute? What kind of in, impact can you make? And that's that's what living is all about, right? I mean, Absolutely. it is. Absolutely, yes. There's a saying that says um, the key to living is giving, and I I think about that like every day. You know, it is. It's it's not about it's not about me. It's not about, you know, any, it's about what, what can I do to help? So. Yeah. And when you can focus that direction, you get paid back multifold over the, the top of that. It's just amazing how, how you can do that. I appreciate so much more everything from yes. tastes to to things that I see, to to weather, to sunsets, whatever it is that I'm experiencing, I really appreciate it and, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to have that experience, whatever it is. And that that wasn't the way I was before. I was always focused on what I was doing and what I had no. to get done. I was so busy. <laughs> yes. And, you know? yes. It's like you have these blinders on, you're just living your life and it's just you're on this track and then there's so much more out there, you know, that you're just not paying attention to. So That's right. it's, it's very eye-opening what, what you've been through too, but yeah, it changes the way that you live and it changes the way that you want to live. So it's, it's hard to say those things like, you know, it, it's, there is growth and positivity and happiness, right? Grief and happiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, how do you, you're, you there's a lesson just in that name, right? Yes. Anyway. You'd be amazed at how many people say, uh, that doesn't work, or that's an oxymoron. <laughs> you know, you can't put those two words in the same sentence. 
<laughs> but it's, it, it's so wonderful to be able to and and to live that. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's, it's it's no dishonor to anyone that you lose for you to be happy. And you hear people say things like that all the time that they they know that their loved one would want them to be happy. Well, if they know that, then it's okay for them to be happy, you know? Right. Right. It's, it's not a betrayal. It's it's not uh you're not letting anybody down if you smile. And it, it's okay. It is. It is, and but when you're going through it, I remember the first time that I laughed. It was the week after. I don't even remember what it was. Something was funny. And I laughed and I was like, oh, I shouldn't be laughing. Nothing should be happy. Nothing should be making me smile. You know, I felt that. I really felt that 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 guilt. You feel the guilt for for feeling joy. It, it's yeah. a weird feeling, <laughs> right? It is, but it's also you when you recognize that you're observing much more closely in a different way than you ever have before. And when when you see things like if you I live on Maui and I'll see a couple walking down the beach and holding hands and kind of snuggling up. And instead of going, oh, I wish that were were me, you know, I, I would like to be able to do that, too. I go, isn't it wonderful? that they're they're having that that feeling and having that experience and if they can have it i can have it it might be in a different way i i don't have a person in my life now and i'm not sure that i'm ready for that or ever will be yeah uh but i can appreciate the love you know cuz love love is a universal thing and and the more love you put out the more love comes back it doesn't have to be romantic it just the I, I always like sign my my letters or emails or anything with either saying love or with love, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes I wonder what they're going to think when they see this. <laughs> <laughs> but if it makes know, them think about love, good. that's a good thing. <laughs> right. Wow. Well, can our so is your your widow squad all in person and local, or do you have any any ways that people that aren't where you live can be involved yeah because our widow squad is actually it's an online community and um my two partners that i was telling you about i I live in louisiana one of them lives in michigan and the other one lives in portland so we are all over (laughs) we're spread all over we actually just had our first in-person retreat just a couple of weeks ago and so we had we had a, a group that came together in person and that was amazing i love that but we have, we have our, our widow members are everywhere. They are around the world. One of our members, she lives in, um, in South Africa. Mm. And so there's a little bit of a time thing there, but she joins our, she can join our meetings a couple of times a month. And it's really exciting to have her, but it's just to reach those, uh, those people in those places that, that are isolated or they just don't have any local opportunities. They don't have that local access. And so um, we do everything on Zoom and everything is uh, everything is recorded and we have our courses and workshops and things that we do live, but we record everything. So you can always go back and catch the replays. So that's the beauty of being online, right? Yeah. Like we can, we can 
talk to anyone at any time, anywhere. That's that's so, so wonderful. Um, tell me a little bit about the retreat. Where did you do it and what did you do while you were there? So this was our first retreat. And Kim and Melissa and I, we were the only facilitators. We didn't have any outside speakers come in or anything. Our retreat started on Friday and ended on Sunday. So we had a short amount of time and we had our full day was Saturday. We ended up doing three separate workshops. So each of us ran a workshop and the way that we ended up putting our workshops together, it worked out into this way of, it was almost like a focus on the past, present, and then future. Mm. So we did the first workshop ways of, you know, honoring your husband, honoring your partner, um, honoring that relationship and just, you know, being grateful for what you had, being grateful for that love. Right. And then the second workshop that we did was, excuse me, it was a, a, a focus on your identity. And this is something that it's a struggle for a lot of widows, right? Because we have Number one, our identity is I'm a wife. Mm-hmm. That's my life. You know, my life is my is my husband and my family. And I'm a wife. I'm a mom. You asked me that question. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? The very first thing I said was I'm a mom to two girls. And, you know, I that's how we identify ourselves. So when we don't have that anymore, we're feeling kind of lost and we don't have that connection with ourselves anymore not that that's a bad thing. You know, we had our relationship and, and you kind of focus on that. And that's the point of your life that that's what the, that's what happens, you know, but coming back to yourself and just trying to reimagine what your life can be and what that can even look like. It's really terrifying. It was for me anyway, to look into the future and even imagine a future. What was that going to look like? You know, I can't imagine my life without him. I can't. And it took me months before I could even start to get to that point. I had a lot of anxiety about that. And so there's there's anxiety, there's fear, there's overwhelm, all of those things that are wrapped up in our identity and who we think we are. What do we even like to do? What are our values? So our workshops for that day were a lot of it was focusing on just trying to imagine your future and what do you want that to even look like? Because a lot of us can't go there. Our brain can't go there. It's too scary, right? So we did these three workshops. They had amazing food because they had five-star chefs from New Orleans. This was right outside of New Orleans. We had this retreat center that's about an hour outside of New Orleans is where we did it. And um, so the food was amazing. And we did campfire at night and a lot of just hanging out and talking and, you know, what's, what is going on with you? What's your biggest struggle right now? What's, your next steps, you know, it's, it's a lot of conversations that happen like that in the widow squad too, are, we want to know, we want to, we want some kind of direction 
and we don't feel it. And it's terrifying to be on your own and trying to figure all of that out. <laughs> I know. Yes, I agree. <laughs> it really yeah. is. That sounds like a wonderful retreat. I know doing retreats, that's one of my goals with my grief and happiness that I plan on doing because there's something about being face-to-face with somebody, being able to hold somebody's hand or give them a hug or uh, talk soul to soul. It it is just so incredibly valuable and allows people to thrive. Yeah. And they had two stories from this retreat that it, another thing that people can um, take away from our conversation here is just those synchronicities and things that happen that point you in the direction that you need to go, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So one of the ladies, she was trying, lives in California. She's trying to figure out how she was going to get to this retreat. She kind of put it on the back burner and was like, I'm not sure. And then something happened with her work situation. She got like an insurance check or something, you know, she was a part of a lawsuit thing. You know how you get those papers in the mail that are like, you're a part of a group lawsuit, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to sign anything or anything. Next thing she knew, she was getting a check in the mail for the exact amount of our retreat. Wow. So she's, she said it was like three days later and she said, okay, that's it. I'm going, you know? So she was able to come. And then another one of the ladies, again, she was trying to make it work and try to come. Well, she ended up checking uh, her air miles through one of the airlines. She had the exact amount of points to pay for her ticket to come to the retreat. So she said, okay, that's it. I'm doing it. You know, it's a sign. You get these signs all the time. So if you are, you know, looking for some kind of direction, those are the things to pay attention to. I love those stories. Oh, I do too. And and paying attention to signs is so important because a lot of times they'll just kind of whiz by. I, yeah. I know one of the things that's been happening to me is I've been doing more and more writing and helping people with writing is I'll go, Oh, <laughs> I knew that, you know, that uh, I'm, I'm surprised at, at signs and synchronicities. And I, I even started one journal that I have that's just four things wow. like that. So when I can, when I have an yeah. experience, I write it down so I can remind myself, yeah, pay attention because attention. you never know what's coming your way. And that's going to be really valuable to you. And you, you want to take advantage of it when it does, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't like that before, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, me neither. <laughs> my previous life, my previous life, I did not pay attention to any of these things, but, but after now I'm like, that, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. You just have to, you just have to pay attention and look for it. It does. So. It's meant to be, they say, well, mm-hmm. this has been a fabulous conversation. I just love to talk to you. I could talk to you for another couple hours, but <laughs> I think we probably should stop for this time. Maybe do it again sometime. Yeah, and, uh, be great. I'll have all of Jen's information in the show notes so that you can see where, how to get involved in Widow Squad and uh, stay in touch. And uh, there's just, there's so many, look at how much we smiled and laughed during this podcast. It, it just feels really good. And you can put yourself in a place where you can smile and laugh too, and it's okay. And it feels good. So I'm glad that we're providing that opportunity for you today. And I'm, I hope that you'll come back for lots more. 
podcast with me. And hopefully I'll see you next week. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.